Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. There's a high fly ball from KMOX Sports. That's it deep to left field, and it's a gutter. Big fly, Nolan Arenado. There's a moment for you. Welcome to the Meyer Jensen Sports on a Sunday morning. In the driving jam time. The Billikens win this one. Meyer Jensen, a personal injury law firm, because sometimes the gloves have to come off. MeyerJensen.com. Comeback pattern caught. Touchdown, Kansas City. Now, sports on a Sunday morning on America's Sports Voice, KMOX. Welcome back, everybody. It's 1106 on a Sunday morning here in St. Louis. I'm Mike Claiborne. We'll be here for an hour or so. Uh, no Chiefs football today because they have a bye. So I know for those who are looking forward to hearing them this afternoon, it's not going to happen. But we have other good programming for you instead. Uh, a lot of things to talk about in this hour. We're going to visit with Howard Richards, talk a little college football with him. Where does Missouri stack up in things? Uh, a few other things going on in college football. The, the coaching thing is is going to be really interesting because there are some interesting jobs that are going to be out there. Uh, we talk about LSU. We talk about USC. We talk about Florida. Those are all very good programs that have had success, not recently, but um, those schools are going to have to spend some money. So the question is, do you spend money on up-and-coming guys, or is there a Bill O'Brien or a guy who's had some success in college and or the NFL that you think might be able to move the needle a little bit more, not only from a winning perspective, but also from a fan standpoint where fans can identify with a person. Uh, that seems to be a little bit of a challenge where we've seen programs that had decided to go after guys who maybe didn't have the name, but they thought would be an up-and-coming coach. Sometimes it's worked. A lot of times it hasn't. So we'll see how that thing develops. But there, there was one thing I was happy about yesterday. You know, Ed Ogeron, the, the head coach at LSU, is stepping down. Didn't go as well for him as I think he and obviously the LSU fans wanted it to. But, man, you talk about life of the life at the party. I mean, this guy just bleeds uh, purple and gold for LSU in the program, and, and he admitted it didn't work. There were some other things that would happen off the field that made some people uncomfortable. But for his team to go out and beat A&M yesterday in his last game, I, I thought was a hoot, and I don't know if anybody enjoyed himself more than he did. Well, maybe Jim Harbaugh up in Michigan, uh, considering he finally got the elephant off his back, uh, considering how things had gone for him against Ohio State. But it was a good weekend of college football uh, for a lot of people, and just the excitement where the games actually meant something was something that uh, I got a kick out of. All right, so we'll get into that a little bit more in the, in this hour. 
we were scheduled to visit with John Mozeliak, but as I mentioned, going up to the top of the hour, something's come up, so we won't have him on this week. I'm sure Tom will have him on next week, and maybe by then we'll have some more players to talk about and some new additions and something along that line. Uh, so I say stay tuned. Uh, you heard Bob Knight and Gail and I talking about how it seems like guys are signing and, and teams are trying to figure out their rosters well before the, the date of where the CBA expires and things could shut down. Um, we haven't heard from either side on whether they're going to continue to talk or whether they're just going to shut it down and then come back and revisit this. I, I just get the feeling, and again, as I said earlier, why, do, why haven't you been able to get this done by now? We all know what's going on. Nothing's changed. Um, lock them in a room and let's get it done. Now, I know it was contentious during the pandemic and there were some guys that were going back and forth and we almost didn't have a season. You got to put that in the back, back seat, man. We can't worry about that. This is a bigger issue that needs to be addressed. So we'll, we'll talk about that at length uh, in, a, in this hour also in lieu of uh, John Mozeliak's absence. So, and certainly understandable, something came up, so he's got to handle it. So we'll get that squared away. We have some business we'll handle in this hour. I love talking to Howard Richards. We can talk about anything with him. And then we'll talk a little bit more about the Blues and, and what's going on with them. Um, good two periods last night. First period, eh. But they've got a test this week. They've got Tampa and they've got Florida on the road. That's going to be tough because both of those teams are quality hockey teams and the Blues have to start to find some consistency. And I've got a couple of things I want to roll out with my observations of what I've had a chance to take in with regard to the St. Louis Blues for this year. So what we'll do here is take our break. We'll come back. We'll shoot the breeze with Howard Richards for a bit and talk with him about Mizzou. I got to tell you, when it comes to Missouri being bowl eligible, that's great. But are they bowl worthy? You know, you're 500. There's not a lot of fanfare when you think about how the defense is played. And let's face it, the defense was better until Friday against Arkansas. The offense has been, eh. but although Beatty is the all-time leading rusher, and I, I find him to be a fascinating story, and I'm happy for him. But I'm not sure if you are a bowl committee, if Missouri moves a needle enough for you to say, hey, we think we can get Missouri to come because – First of all, Missouri fans don't even go to the games in Columbia. Secondly, I'm not sure how they would travel to a game that they may not think a lot of. So we'll roll it out to Howard and get his thoughts on where we go with this because I, I think Missouri might be at one of those crossroads where maybe they get a phone call, maybe they won't. I think they'd like to get one because they can obviously have more practice opportunities and do some things, and every kid would like to end on a positive note going to a bowl game. But maybe it's not in the card, so we'll see. But we'll talk with Howard about that and a few other things when we come back. This is Sports on a Sunday Morning. Of course, it's KMOX, and we'll be back after this. There's a high fly ball. Welcome back to the Meyer Jensen Sports on a Sunday Morning. And it's a gutter. Big fly, Nolan Arenado. Meyer Jensen, a personal injury law firm, because sometimes the gloves have to come off. MeyerJensen.com. And the Billikens win this one. Touchdown! Kansas City! On America's Sports Voice, KMOX. It's 11 Welcome back, everybody. We go back to the Quiver River Electric Cooperative guest line, and standing by is Howard Richards, color analyst for the University of Missouri, Missouri Sports Hall of Famer, and everything else you want to know about Howard, you can find out. He also has a great podcast called Huddle Up with Howard, so you want to check that out as well. 
Howard, how are you, man? And uh, now that Thanksgiving is behind us, uh, we can get back to normal. What's going on in your world? Hey, Michael. Uh, just finished brunch at Brick Tops. Uh, and, you know, they do a fantastic job here. And, uh, you know, now my belly's full and get a chance to talk a little football with you. Well, I better hurry up and talk to you before you go home and take a nap. <laughs> I may take a nap right here in my car. <laughs> hey, uh, let's let's go back to Friday. It was a tough afternoon at Fayetteville. Missouri is now six and six. Uh, I thought they had made some improvements, but all that kind of came back to where this team and why this team is six and six. Uh, the defense had some breakdowns. You know, Arkansas has a good offense. I tip my cap to them, but I, I thought I would get a little bit more out of Missouri than what I saw on Friday. I was a little surprised as well. Uh, I remember that first long ball to um, Traylon Burks. Um, and going back and looking at the replay, it was a busted coverage. You know, the, the safety somehow rotated towards the cornerback, and you got Burks, who's he's lined up on the outside. And he's really only going to go inside anyway. I mean, you would think that the safety would just sit and wait and watch instead of rotating towards the sideline, leaving the entire middle of the field open. So that's just, that's just not smart play. That's just not you know, on-field awareness by uh, a guy that needs to, hey, you've got to understand the people that are playing against you and how a team is going to attack you. And they love to attack you on that deep post, especially with a guy like Burks. He's a big receiver. He's got sure hands. Uh, but he can beat you whether he's you know in, at the post or down the sidelines. He he took care of the rookie DJ Jackson uh, who was left out on an island because Missouri sent a blitz and just got them all turned around and and beat him for a touchdown. Also, uh, it, Burks is just that he's you know fortunately for Missouri uh, they will never see him again because he'll be in the <laughs> NFL next year. <laughs> but listen, you, give Arkansas credit they. Uh, Kendall Bryles does a good job with that offense. Their, their quarterback, K.J. Jefferson, the sophomore, uh, unfortunately for Missouri, uh, they're going to face him for at least another year. Uh, he's a tremendous guy. Steve Wilkes, Missouri's defensive coordinator, likened him to a young Cam Newton, who um, they were both together when Wilkes was at Carolina. So that's high praise uh, for a very young quarterback uh, by an established defensive coordinator. All right, you have a six and six record. That, uh, hypothetically, here I represent a uh, fledgling, up and coming bowl committee, and we're looking for teams. And I happen to look down at my list and I say, "Well, here's the University of Missouri. They're six and six. They're bowl eligible. Um, they had some moments this year. They didn't have as many as they would like." So, Howard, how and why should I look at Missouri as a team that I would consider inviting to my bowl? <laughs> one reason, <clears throat> number one, Tyler Beatty, second leading rusher in the nation um, as a Friday anyway. He leads the entire SEC in rushing, um, and he's caught like 50-plus balls. He's a complete back. He's a guy that gets stronger as the game goes along, and he's exciting to watch. Um, I mean, he, he goes probably 5'9", maybe 5'10", if you stretch him. Uh, but he's he's got extremely strong legs, 
And I'm telling you, one guy, for a guy that size, one guy's not going to bring him down. I mean, he routinely breaks tackles and makes guys miss. But he's exciting. And, and you know, Eli Drinkwood said, I don't know where we'd be um, without Tyler Beatty this year. We may not have won. We probably would have won six games without him. I would agree with him on that front. All right, so Tyler Beatty, let, let's stay on him for a second. Um, uh, uh, you know, is he a guy that's going to be in the Heisman conversation, or do you think he's going to be overlooked because he comes from a team that's just 500 and has been woeful on defense most of the year? Um, I think there's a good chance of that. However, um, if you leave the SEC in rushing, uh, it's the best conference in football, as we all know. Uh, to me, it should account for something. You know, if they invite five guys to um, the downtown athletic club in a couple of weeks, Tyler Beatty's name should definitely be on that list. Um, and, you know, I've seen a lot of running backs, and this guy has eclipsed. I won't say he came out of nowhere, um, but I don't think he was on the radar of of a lot of Heisman voters uh, at the beginning of the season mm-hmm. that he would be, you know, uh, in that conversation. But, again, if you're leading this conference in rushing, uh, you should be in that conversation. And, man, it's not just rushing. Again, he's caught 53, maybe even more, maybe closer to 60 passes this year. Um, He's just a dynamic player, um, and and he is the type of player that I think fans fans pay to see. So any bowl game that invites Missouri uh, is going to get to see an exciting player. So now as as a representative of the committee – you tell me about Tyler Beatty, and I'm going to say, yeah, but you know what? You guys don't really travel well. You don't have great attendance. And uh, I'm concerned that if we put you guys on the field with a team that because your defense has been concerning at best, it, we, we don't want a route. We don't want a lopsided game. We want something that's going to come down to the last player or two. And, and that's the way Bowles, they, they like it that way. They don't always get it that way. So how do you counter some of the concerns a bowl committee would have other than knowing that you've got one of the top rushers in the country? Well, I think a lot of it depends on, you know, which bowl game you get selected to. If you're Missouri, you probably would love to have um, a bowl game like the Music City Bowl in Nashville. Obviously, it's going to depend on who matches up well. I can guarantee that Missouri will travel well to Nashville. They, they, you know, anywhere in Tennessee, the Tigers are going to be their Tiger faithful mm-hmm. will show up there. Um, beyond that, I don't know. But if it's a bowl game, I, there will be a good representation for uh, the Missouri faithful. I think seven years ago, uh, which was probably the last bowl game that Missouri won, the Citrus Bowl, uh, there were tons of fans there from um, uh, in Orlando at that bowl game. Uh, and on a New Year's Day uh, bowl, that's when it was. Um, so I, I'm not too concerned about that. I mean, I think the fact that Missouri's not uh, won a bowl in several years has been seven years, um, and people want to see that. And they, and again, you get one last look at the great Tyler Beatty. So uh, there's any number of reasons why people want to show up there because right now, you know, he's a guy that is going to be playing on Sundays. And, uh, again, you get one last look at him wearing old gold and black. Howard Richards is our guest here on KMOX. It's uh, 1123. Rivalry weekend, and, and I was fascinated by how a team in Michigan could just punish 
a team in Ohio State at the line of scrimmage. I mean, Howard, the, the game, you know, we had a young man from St. Louis who rushed for five touchdowns. I think had they had more time, he would have been able to do more. But you don't see that very often where a team that's evenly matched just comes out and just takes the spirit and the heart from a team like we saw Ohio State had to take it away from them yesterday. You know, playing in the big house, I think, accounted for something. And uh, given the fact that it had been probably close to 10 years that uh, it's been since Michigan beat Ohio State, the law of averages say eventually it's, you know, it's going to happen. Mm-hmm. And it happened for it happened for the Wolverines yesterday. This is like Missouri. had No one would have guessed that Missouri had beaten uh, Arkansas five straight before Friday. And since being in um, the SEC, I think that was only Arkansas's either second win, maybe third win, you know, since the series started uh, back there. I mean, of all time. So Missouri's had their number, and you know, eventually, you know, the time will the tide will turn. And for Michigan, you know, I know there was a big monkey off Jim Harbaugh's back, a to to win such a big game to be playing for the the Big Ten title, but. You know, Michigan right now, if they're kind of on the outside of, of the playoff looking in, uh, they're sitting at number six. Um, I, I don't know, you know, uh, how far they can jump. I don't think they deserve to jump uh, ahead of Cincinnati. But, you know, could they conceivably jump ahead of Notre Dame? I don't know. With a convincing win like yesterday, uh, it's possible. Um, so, you know, it, it's – that's the thing, but you've got teams like this, and that's why I think expansion of the college football playoff is so important uh, because you have a lot of great teams that are just outside of that top four. Um, so to expand it to eight, I know Greg Sankey, the commissioner of the of the big, excuse me, of the SEC, would like to see it expanded to twelve teams, and uh, I, I think then you'll get a maybe a truer representation of of a true national champion when you have more teams that are um, involved in that particular playoff. Um, So I'm looking forward to the day that it does expand, whether it be, you know, eight teams, 12, or whatever the number is. You know, it's it's an interesting item that people are talking about expanding. But, man, we're talking about kids playing 17 games in a season here pretty soon. And and I wonder. I wonder if that's really good for the sport because we see the toll it takes on the pros. And for a young man who's trying to go to class and do those things as well, maybe you, you, you move the schedule around where maybe there's not as much away time um, that you would have during the current setup. But I, I think as you expand it, I think there's a lot of other things that come with it that I would have to make sure we check some boxes on to make sure that the kids, these young men, or in a better position also? Well, those are all legitimate concerns that uh, I know will be addressed by the committee. One thing that sort of sticks out is that you can actually back the season, the start of the season up, mm-hmm. started earlier, started two weeks earlier. You know, do you... Take um, off one of those blood donor you, games you have on the schedule yeah, nobody goes to. Yeah, that that I think is a is a very distinct possibility. In fact, I, I think it's something that should really be looked at um, because you know teams don't make a whole lot of money in those games anyway, and and I think it's it's better for your team if you're playing stiffer competition. So get rid of the the FCS opponents for the most part. 
uh, I'm sure Florida would like to get rid of Nessie. <laughs> yes, yes. No doubt. They never want to see. They never want to see Samford again. <laughs> they don't want to see Forever. Samford or Fred Samford. They don't care which, whoever it is. They don't want to see either one of them anymore, considering Maybe, how it costs Muschamp his job. Exactly. So, I mean, uh, exactly. Mullins his job. Dan Mullins. Yeah. Yeah, no hey, doubt. By the no way, doubt. we're about to watch that coaching domino take effect because with Florida, LSU, USC, and some other programs that are out there, one guy moves, the whole, the whole wagon gets upset. What do you where do you think the the most intriguing job will be? And like I said earlier in the show, you know, there was some talk about Lincoln Riley maybe headed to LSU. He denied that rumor last night after the game. I don't know what what else he's going to say at that point. But who do you think has the best opportunity to go somewhere and turn it around quicker? Is it USC, LSU or Florida? You know, all of those teams, you know, have a lot of talented players. You know, USC may have the least amount of talent um, of those three. I mean, I, listen, I, I haven't seen USC all year, but <clears throat> the way that they've dropped off the last several years, I think, you know, th- that's probably the, the, the most common denominator. I think Florida's still a talented team. LSU's got a lot of talent on its roster also. Um, I, I think that the LSU job with the the abundance of local talent in the state of Louisiana and all the regional talent surrounding those states, that might be the most uh, attractive of the three. Not by a lot, but, but by a little bit. And, you know, the guy, to me, from what I've seen and heard thus far, Billy Napier, who is the head coach of um, University of Louisiana, Maybe the guy that uh, I think he's right now the leading candidate, at least if you read and believe what the media says, uh, because he's had experience in college football. He's been in Alabama with Saban. Um, he's an experienced head coach, and he may just be the guy that uh, LSU is targeting to, you know, be their be its next head coach. Well, it will be interesting. I just say to everybody, stay tuned because we're going to see a lot of movement this off season. Um, and I'll tell you something else that really has kind of struck me is how many assistant coaches, you know, we, we saw a lot of guys get fired in the middle of the season, and we've already heard and seen where some guys will not be retained, they won't be coming back, uh, position coaches, coordinators, things of that nature. That, that's something we haven't seen a lot of until recently. Yeah, it is an interesting dynamic. Uh, I think it, you owe that to your restless fan base. And uh, you you certainly want to please the fans because, hey, you want them to continue to buy tickets. Um, and that's part of the problem that the University of Missouri faces, you know, a, a drop-off in attendance primarily because – and it, you can say the same for basketball. The, team, the teams haven't been winning consistently, and they haven't won – you know, the, if you, you put a figure, uh, a, a goal at what a team should win in football or basketball and, and get into the playoffs or get to bowl games, it hasn't been consistent recently. <clears throat> and so you've, you know, it, some of these ADs, uh, you know, I can't say for sure which ones, but you know it does exist. They do succumb to uh, the pressure of its fan base, uh, real or not. Uh, and you've, so you've got to juggle. You've got to do what's best to keep the fans coming, but you also have to do what's best 
for those programs, those revenue generating programs in the long run. You know, it's, it doesn't help if you just go out and get a big name who's going to use your school as a stepping stone to go someplace else. You really need someone that's going to get into your program, obviously win, build a culture, build a winning culture, um, a, a culture that doesn't cheat, uh, but also uh, a, a guy that is going to be able to recruit and, ha- and have a sustained, solid recruiting base. That's what it takes to be successful uh, in college football. And that's why you see you know, programs like Alabama and Georgia are so, su- so successful. You know, the head coaches have been in place for uh, a long time. Kirby Smart, not as long as Nick Saban, but he's building it the right way. And uh, those are, to me, those are the gold standards that um, all other programs right now are measured by. And if you watch how they've done it, um, you know, they've done it the right way. And the product on the field, the fans in the stands are a testament to that. Howard Richards, as always, it's great to visit with you, sir. Now that you have been well-fed and you're starting to yawn a bit, it's probably time for you to go go home and chill for a bit and probably wake up for the second half of whatever football game you're going to watch. Indeed. One thing for sure, Dallas Cowboys will not lose today. Oh, you know what? I wish we had time to discuss that because you talk about a train wreck, man. I mean, it. I don't even know what to say about that game other than the fact that you, you can't keep shooting yourself in the foot like they do. Yeah, you know, they've they've dropped two two games in a row uh, after playing a, a really solid game, a dominating game against the Falcons. I know they've got some pieces missing also, and hopefully they'll get a lot of those players back during the stretch run and, you know, figure out a way to, to put it together. You know, A, you got to win your division. You want to win your division first uh, and get that first weekend by and, and, and hopefully uh, be productive in the playoffs. This is probably Dallas's most talented team on both sides of the ball that they've had in a long time, and you would hate to see them squander that um, by, you know, losing games that uh, they should win. You know, for you know, a lot of silly reasons. You know, whether it's penalties, uh, they got a young, a lot of young players, though, Mike. And uh, you know, that's a little bit of a concern. Although the talent is there, uh, but these guys are going to learn. And, and you know, I think even next year, uh, defensively, they'll be have a chance to be even better, uh, especially if they continue to draft uh, to shore up areas on the defense that have been weak. Uh, great point you make, although Jerry Jones would tell you, I'm not worried about next year. I'm worried about next week. Well, this year. No, I agree. <laughs> and, you know, that is that is his focus, um, is, is getting back into that title game and uh, and winning it all. And it's been a long time since Dallas has been there. I know there are a lot of expectations, but, um, hey, you got to play it one game at a time, and they got to start looking good week in and week out, you know, as you start the – you know, the, the latter part, you know, November, you're going into December now. You're starting the last quarter of your season. Um, so it's they've, they've got to be a, a team that has a little more conviction on the field. Um, not easy to do with the competition that they'll face, but, you know, this is what a good team, the championship team, must do in order to win it all. He's Howard Richards. Thank you, sir. Talk soon. Thank you, Michael. All right, Howard Richards. Don't forget, folks, every Thursday you can check him out at Huddle Up with Howard. Very nice podcast. He has some very good guests on it as well. We'll take a break. We'll come back. We'll talk a little baseball. 
Uh, we were scheduled to visit with John Mozeliak. Something came up with him, so it'll be you and a, you and me talking about some things that are going on in the game. Uh, interesting transactions taking place, and I'm starting to see a little bit of a pattern here that we'll talk about when we come back here on Camo X. There's a high fly ball. Welcome back to the Meyer Jensen Sports on a Sunday morning. And it's a gutter. Big fly, Nolan Arenado. Meyer Jensen, a personal injury law firm, because sometimes the gloves have to come off. MeyerJensen.com. And the Billikens win this one. Touchdown, Kansas City. On America's Sports Voice, KMOX. Welcome back, everybody. It's 1140 on a Sunday after Sunday morning here in St. Louis. I'm Mike Claiborne. This is Sports on a Sunday Morning. We thank Howard Richards for joining us. All right, let's talk a little baseball. Um, Cardinals signed Steven Matz. We've talked about that. And I, I think most people will tell you that uh, that's a pretty good sign. Because as Bob Nightingale alluded to, you better have a whole bunch of starting pitching. So that asks, the question would be, then where does that put a Jake Woodford, whereas that put an Alex Reyes, and there's some other guys that are probably thinking they're going to have a crack at maybe making the rotation, let alone making the ball club. At some point, you've got to figure out a way to extend these pitchers. And, and, you know, the mindset today is max effort on every pitch. And that's why I think a lot of times we see guys who go five innings, maybe six, throw in the fact that the hitters will foul off enough pitches, they'll wait for a walk, and all of a sudden the pitch count gets up. But at some point, we've got to get back to minimizing pitches as far as the bats are concerned because it's it's burning up teams. You think about how postseason worked out, and as good as the Dodgers were, especially with their pitching, they were looking for arms for the final game of the season. Because they it went through everybody and they continued to use them. And I know you might say, well, that's just Davey Roberts. No, that's everybody. Everybody runs into that dilemma the longer you go. So at some point, someone has got to come up with a different approach and a different philosophy on how we can utilize our pitching where we don't burn it up. We saw it with San Diego this past season where San Diego obviously thought they were playing a 60-game schedule because they were shot by June. They burned that pitching staff up and also the bullpen as well. And lo and behold, they found themselves watching postseason on TV. You knew they were in trouble down the stretch when they decided to sign Jake Arrieta thinking he was going to provide some hope. So somewhere along the way, they've got to figure this out. And that was one of the things I wanted to talk to John Mazalak about this morning, but we'll get to him at some point just to see where are we headed with pitching and what its impact is going to be on the game. Because believe it or not, as good as your bullpen is, you still can't pitch them every day. And if you're lucky enough to have some experience in your bullpen, that's great. But there just isn't enough of that pitching to go around. This game is a little short on that on that element. And if you think that these guys can come in and learn on the fly at the big league level, then you're sadly mistaken. I mean, we've seen guys, and I'll give you a good example. Johan Oviedo looks the part, has good stuff, but had to learn how to pitch in the major leagues without spending a day in AAA. And that's a tough process. It's a real tough process. And for guys like that, you don't want to ruin a guy. You want to bring him along slowly, but they've got to learn how to pitch, not throw. All of them can throw, but very few of them learn how to pitch. 
at a young age, and it's something that they have to concern themselves with. We talked with Bob earlier about the movement around Major League Baseball. We had a lot of free agent signings. We had Corey Kluber signed today. Um, Starling Marte signed with Oakland, uh, which I think was a surprise to some. You saw um, Wanda Franco signed with um, the Tampa Bay Rays, a long-term deal, a young man who everybody thinks is going to be a very, very good player. And then you're starting to see a lot of deals that are one-year deals, two-year deals. Some guys, I think, realize that maybe that long-term deal isn't in the cards and maybe they feel like they want to prove themselves. So they take a shorter deal, good money, not great, but good. And they feel like maybe if I get hot during the season, maybe they come back to me and maybe they want to extend me. A lot of creativity taking place. But, but here's the one that I, I've always found to be amusing at this time of the year is when you have certain writers and certain people all of a sudden, and they may consider themselves insiders. That's only because they have an inside track to an agent to float a name of a team out there to create some interest. And it's really kind of a, it's amusing where I know John Heyman loves to float Scott Boris's clients' names out there in the most recent one. Well, he's thinking about playing for the Mets. He's thinking about playing here. Look, it's not that. It, you know, some people can see through this and realize this is just a ploy, but it's part of the game. And teams do this, agents do this, to just try and create a dance partner to let the team that they'd really like to go to say, well, wait a minute, you know, we got somebody else calling us. And then you have a guy that runs, that owns the New York Mets who obviously isn't in tune with how free agency works, and he was upset because he felt the agent didn't get back to them where they could make a qualifying offer uh, or one that they think they thought they could match as far as St. Louis was concerned. Well, no, here was the deal. Cardinals offered a guy four years. You offered him three years. What's the difference? You knew what you offered him. Did you, you already knew it was going to take four years, and why didn't you offer it to him? It was that simple. So you see those sort of things unfold, but I, I promise you folks, start to listen to certain names of players and the, the interest that teams is going to start to show. And I can promise you it's generated from an agent or maybe one of his, one of his friends or colleagues that he knows that's in, in, you know, that's in the media that will circulate the rumor for him. A lot of things are going to be happening and it seems like things have been accelerated, but I, I'm trying to be an optimist here in feeling like they can get a deal done. Now, as Bob Nightingale alluded to, there's some tough things on the table, but it sounds like maybe there's some things that can be negotiated and there's some middle ground. Hey, neither side is going to walk away with everything they want, okay? It, it, that's just the way it works. But you've got to find some things and in, in, in get all the other things tightened up and then sit down and realize, all right, we gave on this, you need to give on that. And get it done. This isn't that hard. Well, maybe it is hard, but it shouldn't be that hard because you understand what the issues are and you have to be creative. I'm sorry. You cannot continue to use the same model. I made the point earlier that Rob Manfred was the only guy in the room the last time the CBA took place. And... He was considered a good guy then. A lot of things have happened since he's been commissioner. So I'm not sure how he is viewed these days. But he's going to have to get in the room and, and let's get these other guys out of the room, okay? Because the last time they started to negotiate, you notice it had to be him and Tony Clark 
that had to have the final sit-down because the other negotiators weren't even speaking to each other. Can't have that this time around. Get in the room, get it done. We have to get to a break, so we'll do that now. I'm going to come back and tell you a little bit about not only who I think the Heisman Trophy winner is, but also what's this playoff foursome going to look like come Tuesday. We'll talk about that in just a bit here on KMOX. There's a high fly ball. Welcome back to the Meyer Jensen Sports on a Sunday morning. And it's a gutter. Big fly, Nolan Arenado. Meyer Jensen, a personal injury law firm, because sometimes the gloves have to come off. MeyerJensen.com. And the Billikens win this one. Touchdown, Kansas City. On America's Sports Voice, KMOX. 11.51 on KMOX. Welcome back, everybody. A couple of minutes before we get out of here. No Chiefs today. But we do have some quality programming waiting for you on the other side of the news. At least that's what I'm told. I'll go sit and listen myself. James O'Sullivan, what are you? Are we going to have some quality programming? He says yes, so I'm going to go with what he has to say. All right, before we get out of here, a couple of things. Heisman Trophy. Now, if you know me, you know that I am not the biggest fan of the award because I think it's a crock. It's more of a popularity contest. It does not recognize the best player in the country. I think it recognizes the best offensive player or maybe the most popular player. So I don't put a lot of stock into it. And I kind of gave up on this award when they didn't put Hugh Green. They didn't make Hugh Green the Heisman Trophy winner many, many years ago. Maybe, maybe you all don't remember Hugh Green from Pitt, who was as dominant of a defensive player as we've seen in a long time in college football. Uh, it, having Ricky Jackson on that team didn't hurt him either. But bottom line is this. It is an award that, it, that does come with prestige. It's been around for a long time. And while I don't necessarily agree with the premise of the award, I do still follow the parameters that they apparently have as far as the being the best offensive player. And I think at this point, Bryce Young is the best offensive player in college football as we speak. Uh, he's on a good team, a very good team. Not a great team because they're, they're short a few players along the way. They've had some injuries and some other things that have taken place. But when you look across the board and what he's able to do every Saturday, and I thought yesterday was indicative of how good this guy has been throughout the year, he battled. They, they weren't on their A game yesterday for three and a half quarters. But when the game came down to making plays, he was making them. You know, he's going to throw for over 4,000 yards. He's thrown for 40 touchdowns and thrown just four, I'll say it again, four interceptions. Now, I'm sure there's somebody else out there who's having a good season. And Howard mentioned Tyler Beatty, who is having a good season. But I think it should go to somebody who's on a team that's having a good season too. And I think Alabama's having a pretty good one. I mean, you look at Georgia. Georgia's the number one team in the country. Very good defense. But can you name three guys on that Georgia defense that would be what you would call difference makers as far as the Heisman Trophy is concerned? There's one. That one lineman they have inside is is very dominant. But because we've turned this thing into an offensive award, what, who's the offensive player you'd like to nominate from Georgia? You look at Ohio State. Now, I think uh, Hassan Haskins had a hell of a game yesterday. He rushed for five touchdowns. But has he been there all year? Michigan hasn't been there all year. They've gotten hot and they've done an outstanding job. So I, I think when you look at some of the other candidates, they've been up and down. I think Bryce Young's been the most consistent guy. Now, when they announced the, um, the playoff teams on Tuesday, 
that's going to be interesting because Howard and I were talking about the fact that the, does Michigan trade places with Ohio State as far as a number two team? Are they that good? Or is it the fact that they beat Ohio State and they deserve that spot? I think Alabama's safe at three, even though they played in overtime against Auburn. But I think we all understand when the Iron Bowl takes place, no, no team is safe. And then you have Cincinnati. I think Cincinnati is worthy for two reasons. One, they've, they ran the table on a schedule that some would say, well, it was kind of weak. Well, the one game that everybody thought was going to be tough for them was Notre Dame, and they took care of Notre Dame. And you can put Notre Dame in any category you want. I, I understand because some people think Notre Dame is overrated. However, with the way things shake out, Notre Dame is knocking at the door to try and get in this Final Four. Um, they had an impressive win against Stanford. They've been very consistent against the teams that were on their schedule, just like Cincinnati. So you have to say to yourself, yeah, yeah, but. But the loss they have was against who? Cincinnati. So I think those are the four. But, you know, Oklahoma State made a statement last night. I mean, there are a lot of teams that still feel like they have a shot. I really think there's only six teams that have a legitimate shot at the four spots. But I think it's Georgia. I think it's – I would move Alabama up. Well, no, maybe not. Ohio State was there. So I trade with Michigan. Then I'd have Alabama and Cincinnati. But we'll know for sure officially on Tuesday. And by then, we'll have something else to talk about. Man, it's been a blast to do this for the last couple of Sundays. Tom will be in next week. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did, and I look forward to talking to you down the road. Have a great, safe Sunday afternoon and get your week started off on the right foot. We'll talk to you soon. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.